It was mentioned earlier about how that Tim McHenry is our speaker for this gospel meeting, and we're delighted he and his family have come our way. We've been looking forward for some time to, to this gospel meeting effort, and this morning Tim shared reflections and recollections and perhaps distant memories of events that transpired a long time ago, things that had to do with a book like this one. Well, now his reflections of that, I confess, I don't explicitly remember that night that he's talking about, but uh, Tennessee Tech's physics department was well known for the kind of exams to which he alluded. I appreciate his friendship, though, and his study of mathematics often, too. Don't let him fool you. Those courses, too, were often very, very challenging and difficult. He mastered them so, so impressively. But our interest this week is not physics or mathematics in particular, but rather the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're delighted that he's proclaimed it so powerfully as he did this morning. And we look forward to the lesson this afternoon, as well as those for the remainder of the evening. Tim, please come and preach it to us again. In what Randy was referring to, I was not talking about an incident of one single time so much as I was an impression of the whole tenure of the time I was there as opposed to the time he was there and the relative grades of each one. However, uh, I would encourage each person to, of course, in whatever field they are good at, to do their best, right? That's what we all should strive to do. And that brings me to exactly what I wanted to talk to you all about tonight. Everybody has to make up their mind in life, am I, from a man's perspective, a family man or not? Or would I rather be just man about town, you know, live the bachelor life? And your decision on that is entirely your own, not for me to say. And what does the Bible clearly teach us? It says, one has his gift after this manner, another after that. 1 Corinthians 7, right? We can't gainsay that. We know that to be true. You decide whether you are going to be a family man. Ladies, you all have the very same decision. Because after all, if God says a man chooses whether or, not, whether or not he's going to have a wife, then likewise the woman has the same choice because if he decides I'm not going to be married, obviously whoever he would have been married to is not going to have a husband either unless she finds a different one. She might decide, I would rather live the life of a maid in service to Jesus Christ and I would rather be a servant of God in that respect. And the Lord clearly taught about that in the same chapter, 1 Corinthians 7. He said, if you want to remain that way, fine, that is good. In fact, Paul said, I were that all would as myself be. That is single, right? But he said, each one has his gift after this manner and another after that. But for those that do establish a home, then that becomes vitally important for us to understand that home and to understand how we can be a Christian and yet have a home and all the time and efforts that are put inside of it at the same time and how you can make it a Christian home. Now, let me say a couple of things about that and then we'll be ready to get into the lesson proper. I try to see somebody and let's say that I'm going to evangelize them. I think this thing must be working. I seem to be projecting. Okay, because if you all notice... I can't stand a, a pulpit. I don't have anything against them per se. It's just that I'm a roamer. It's what I do. I don't mean to be intimidating or anything. Over the years, I've got to where I'm a roamer. When you have the subject of the home come up, I'll just give you a typical example. The other day, I had a preacher call me up. So the preacher says, and this is a little bit more exact memory than what we were talking about before because this is just recent. The preacher says, 
uh, you know, there's this person you, you could talk to maybe. This, uh, this lady's wanting to talk to me, and I, I spoke to her and her husband maybe for like two hours, and I still really couldn't get to the bottom of trying to figure out how to help them. Are they in a scriptural relationship? Exactly what are their problems? How can they remain married if indeed they need to stay remain married? What, what is the deal here? It was difficult. It was a difficult one. Well, I thought, well, all right, he hadn't preached for all that long. Maybe it's just one of those things where he was afraid to come out and say what needed to be said or whatever. And plus, if they're going to church where he is, sometimes it's a little easier for a preacher that you know believes like you do to come in from the outside and say to him what maybe needs to be said and kind of do the counseling part of it. You know what I mean. So I met with the couple, and you needed a flow chart. It was bad. It was as bad as anything in these classes. We were talking about math or physics or something. It was, you know, I'm trying to understand your situation here. And I'm not saying this is exactly it and names are changed to protect the innocent. You know what I'm saying? But let's say you got Johnny and Susie Smith. And I hope nobody hears the name Smith. But anyway, let's say you got Johnny and Susie Smith. And you start talking to them and they start giving you all kinds of convoluted stuff that you lose track of. Well, you have to understand, we split up because, you know, we had an argument about so-and-so. And, -so. and then, uh, so Johnny found him, uh, this little person over here. And uh, the problem was, is in the meantime, we, we got to talking to one another. Uh, and so the past relationship we had, he, he came and he, he saw me after that. And I'd had liposuction. And so then we got to talking even more. And then next thing you know, I, you know, we're all back together again. But we were still thinking in a worldly fashion. And so what happens, we have these difficulties in that relationship. And so I met this guy over at work. And so we got talking and then we got into this kind of thing. And uh, it, pretty soon it's like, all right, now wait a minute. How many times has so-and-so been split up? And then you got with this one and everything. And when did that become finalized? And you... You know what I'm talking about, right? You, the other preachers here, y'all know what I'm talking about. I needed a flow chart. And in this whole time, you want to get down to the brass tacks of the matter of are you right with God and you can't get through all the muddled mud of the relationships. The home has destroyed the ability to evangelize. This is why we preach on the home. I don't preach on the home just for the sake of the home in and of itself. Now, as I was showing earlier in our Bible study this morning, the home is a great and glorious thing. The first one of the three main institutions created by God to be put into existence, and yet the home is simply a glorious illustration of the love that God has through Christ for His church. The home is for this life, a physical relationship. The main thing you want from the home is for it not to get in the way of your relationship with God. And, of course, we'd love to see everybody in our home to be brought up and to become Christian and to prosper in the Lord. But we really want from our homes for it not to interfere with our personal relationship with Jesus Christ and our ability to have every individual in that home saved. So let's think about the home for a moment longer. In Joshua 24, Joshua could not speak for every individual home among those Jews in that nation. And from the reading we had before... Those two verses are so very important because he said, you choose this day whom you are going to serve, whether it be the gods on the other side of the river which our fathers served and so forth. But he says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He's saying, I can't speak for you. I don't know what kind of bad situations you've gotten yourself into. 
I'm sorry that you got yourself into that. As for me and my house, we will serve God. The whole nation of people, individual families may choose to do something else. You may raise your children to be heathen. They may end up being no telling water. They may turn out better than mine. But as for when I am in this family, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You just simply make up your mind, I will serve God the best I can in my family no matter what, and the rest of the world will do what it does. You know what we get into as a preacher very often is we start preaching about societal things like the uh, homosexual movement and things like that. The problem is, is what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? You're not going to stop the world doing whatever the world does. You can teach the church the right perspective to have on it. So I'm not, it's not saying not to preach on it at all. But we're preaching to the choir here. Most everybody I'm preaching to, if not everybody in this, this assembly, is straight, as they call them. So who am I preaching to? It's the people out there that are messing up things in that regard, and you're not going to help anything by and large by preaching to people in here about that kind of stuff. So what we should do is to be able to put a Christian perspective on it in such a way as to impact our individual homes. And I want to say something about those homes before we go to the next scripture. When Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, he didn't mean my house just as it is right now, husband, wife, and 2.5 children. You know, that's the average, they say, something like that. <laughs> that's not what he meant. He didn't mean my house as long as my wife is living. Let's say she were to pass on before him. He didn't mean, well, that's it, all bets are off, and I'm going to quit serving God. No. He meant as a widower he would keep on serving God. He didn't mean his house once one of his children leaves home, if he has more than one child. He meant his house in whatever form it was in, right? That means that your dedication to God, the impact of the home, is a decision you make no matter what the makeup of your home. Homes are formed in all kinds of ways, and we shouldn't think of just the classical or traditional home as being the only thing that God approves of or the only thing that can serve God. The bachelor with one person living in that home, that man can serve God just as acceptably and just as well as anybody else. Have no doubt about it. That maid, as she grows in service unto God, can serve the community and serve her Lord in that home formed of her, maybe say her and her sister, if both of them decided to uh, be maids and serve God in that way. They can live that way their whole lives, and that's perfectly fine. Let's say that somebody serves God, and they do end up being like uh, one of those people on television you see where they got, you know, eight is enough or whatever, and they got all kinds of children that come from that. That's fine too. Whatever the makeup, God says, you make a personal decision in that home. The reason I wanted to mention that to you is sometimes we get so zeroed in and in our teaching we assume, well, let's talk about what mom, dad, and then the young'uns are going to do. You've got all kinds of homes out there nowadays where you, have mom, uh, you don't have mom and dad, you have husband and wife, but they never had children, either for biological or other reasons, right? You know that to be true as well as I do. We ought not to assume the makeup of the home. Every home chooses to serve God in the kind of home it is. So some of these people come to me, I, I've got a problem. My relationships are messed up. First of all, do you belong to God? Because let's say you can't get back with Johnny. It doesn't matter, Susie. You better stay belonging to God and live a righteous life. Maybe he won't have you back. Maybe you won't have him back. The fact of the matter is, the Bible says... Let them be reconciled or remain unmarried. Isn't that what the Bible says? 
you make up your mind, I'm going to live for God no matter what my home relationship does, no matter what my home makeup ends up looking like, whether my home has a lot of people in it or whether my home is just me, you are going to live for God. So if everybody makes up their mind to do that, the impact of the home will not inter interfere with the evangelism of God's people in the church. Okay, so let's look at a few other things. If you go back to the Old Testament, in Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 6, there is probably the most popular passage in all of the Scripture dealing with the subject of children and the home where it points out that if you have children, you raise them up to serve God, then you expect them to adopt the ways of God because when he is old, he will not depart from it. Does that ring a bell? Train up a child in the way that he is to go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Um, do you realize we read way too much into that? How many people have talked to me and other preachers and right now in your individual homes, I don't mean to embarrass you, I want you to think. You may have a child and you're like, what happened to that child? They used to love Jesus. They, they used to be all about church. What happened to them? Where did I mess up? People need to quit beating themselves up. They have gone and formed their own home now. And they have chosen the path that they want to go. Yeah, but Proverbs 22 and verse 6, well, what does it say? And when he is old, he will not depart from it. You see this all the time. All right. I'm old enough now to where I can look back on it. You go down through Tim's life. I was a little boy. What was my attitude toward Dad? I am in deathly fear of him. He's the one that gives me beatings. Okay, next stage of life. I get into the teenage years and I begin to appreciate how patient he is with me because I can still remember the first time. I remember it like it was yesterday that I decided to give him a proud look. He was trying to tell me something how I needed to be and I was just kind of, you know, I, I was still a little too scared to actually physically do anything but I, 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 wasn't, I wasn't buying into what he was selling. And you know, he just ignored it which made me even matter, of course. He just, he ignored that. He could have really come down hard on me, but I never appreciated how patient he was with me. And then as the years went on a little bit further, I got out on my own. And the first thing you, you notice is that, wait a minute, I don't know what I'm doing here in my own home. I need to, where can I get some advice? Well, Dad probably know about that, so I can pick up the phone. Uh, Mama, can I speak to, <laughs> you know, you, I don't know what I'm doing here. Say, help me out. And the older you get, the more and more you realize, I still don't know what I'm doing. I still need to go back and ask. And that's what happens. The older you get, you come back, so to speak, to your father's house. You come back to the teachings that you were given before. God did not say, I promise that you'll get a long enough life to do that. God didn't say that. You can go at any time, can't you? God didn't promise you a single day longer, folks. God did not say in Proverbs 22.6 that you could not make a decision to leave the teachings of your family and of your God. He never promised that. He just said that if you're allowed to look back on that when he is old, you'll realize the wisdom in it and come back to that kind of a thing. And, and finally, thirdly, fourthly, whatever the point is, he did not say that, well, since uh, you have a child here that is going to be brought up in the right way, 
that therefore that child was brought up, of course, perfectly in the right way. Who does that? Okay, that's hard to do, isn't it? You're going to make some mistakes along the way. If the child takes that mistake and runs with it, then you did make a mistake. That doesn't mean you're going to be lost, but that child is liable to take that mistake and make it even worse. Abraham told a little white lie about his wife Sarah to Pharaoh, didn't he? That little white lie got a lot worse with Isaac. You see, whatever happens with a parent gets worse with the child. And you didn't raise your children perfect. So don't act like Proverbs 22, 6. Well, no, my life is ruined now and I'm going to go to my grave weeping about things you can't change anymore. You need to understand that Proverbs 22, 6 is a proverb and is meant to be taken as a general principle of truth understood by those who have lived long enough in life to come back to the teachings of their parents. Now, having considered that, let's look at some primary examples. Let's just consider one of them right now. David in 1 Chronicles chapter 3. This is also run down in 2 Samuel chapter 3, but 1 Chronicles 3 gives a rundown of David's children, his descendants. David had a hard time. No one can deny that David was a man after God's own heart. You know that to be true. The Bible is clear on it. No one can deny that David was a man with a tender heart before God. You have read, have you not, Psalm 51? Restore unto me thy spirit, O God. He, he was dying without the Lord. You read of all the things, not both that David did and what he said. And all the time, his heart was just like laid right out there and he was appealing unto God, help me. How do I lead the people? How do I help those that I love the most? What do I do about this? And he would weep just like the weeping prophet Jeremiah. And it was just incredible to see the care that the man had with himself. And yet, for all of that, 1 Chronicles 3, first son, Abnon, Amnon, pervert, didn't work out. And that's his firstborn. Second son, Daniel, also called Chiliab, didn't amount to a hill of beans. You do, what do you read about Chiliab? What do you read about also called Daniel in the Bible? Nothing. His mama wasn't a bad woman. Abigail, we read about her in the Bible. She's fine. Didn't amount to a hill. Not anything. Didn't, didn't become anything in life. Was he in poor health? I don't know. The Bible didn't say. All we know is whatever it was, he wasn't appropriate to follow on in the family line and continue on as king. Third son, Absalom. Do we even need to go into that one? A power-hungry, brutal man, violent man. Oh, awful broke his daddy's heart. Do you not remember in the scripture, you remember now where David wept over him when finally he was killed, rebelling against his own dad. And he said, oh, that it had been me in your stead. Absalom, my son, my son. It just tore his heart out. Ladies and gentlemen, it didn't get any better. Don't even get me started on the fourth one, Adonijah. Uh, it's just so sad. David's life, the reason it was full of so many ups and downs is the tragedy of his home, his difficult relationships with the women, too many women that he married, the difficult relationships with his sons that would not follow in the footsteps of godliness and adopt the heart of David. 
if there is one thing that David could redo in his life, surely it would not be the leadership over Israel. It would not be the promises that God gave him to establish his house forever and the son of the house of David to be the eternal king of the heavens. Oh, David loved that, didn't he? That's great. I want to hear those promises. The one regret of David's life, no doubt, is his children leaving the ways of God and dying outside of godliness had to rip his heart out. And even though he took great pride in Solomon, Solomon was way down on the list. All those others before him. Such tragedy. We want to avoid that in our homes. We want the impact of our homes to be such that the church is built up by all the children being born into the homes to adopt the ways of Christ and develop godly homes themselves. And then it just builds on and builds on, doesn't it? Think about it. If you're given a long life, then many times you're able to see your children's children's children, as the Bible says. That is a wonderful and blessed life. What if all of those generations had the majority of people from that become Christians and live faithful unto God? A church would grow just by attrition. It would grow just by virtue of, well, there's all these people staying faithful to God and everybody's still living so the church just builds up and builds up and builds up. That's wonderful. We don't see that. All across the land, the church just basically kind of hangs on. And, and that's the best we can do. We just hang in it. And I'm not saying we're any different at Mount Gilead. Same thing. We've got a generation dying off. We're doing all we can just to hang on. And I got to looking at the old records in the pictorial directory at Mount Gilead. And I come back to them and I let them have it. I said, you look at this. I said, you tell me which of those... And I know a lot of them move off from that area. It's a very rural area and they just move off because there's no jobs around Monroe County. But still, I said, you name for me which ones of these are going to church. Who's going to church here? And you wonder what's happened to our numbers. Who's going to church? We're having to fish them in from the outside and it's hard to convert people from the outside. You can, but it's a slow process. Where are your children? What happened there? And so we need to study on the impact of the home in that regard. David was destroyed emotionally as a man because of the grief that his children put him through. The world doesn't need that kind of grief. We need to each one of us be at peace with God in our homes so that we can be at peace with God in our hearts. All right. Let's move on and talk about it from a different perspective. Now, the next way that I'm going to deal with this, if you do not understand what I'm talking about, it's probably because you're either too young to understand or you don't need to understand it. I'm not going to get more explicit than the Bible, okay? Some preachers, I don't think, are appropriate in what they, how they present things on that. Uh, let's introduce the idea this way. You're going to think it's strange, but Japan. That's what you, Japan, yeah, Japan. Japan is losing population. Do y'all know that? It's a very strange thing. It's a, still a very populated country, but they are losing population quickly. You say, well, why? Why are they losing population? They're not having children. But wait a minute. Japan's just as modern as any society, aren't they? Oh, yeah, yeah. The people over there act as if they're just as sex-crazed as anybody, right? Yeah, yeah. But they're really not. They're not getting married, or if they do get married, they're not having any children, and they're not having many children. The nation is losing population. Did you realize if it were not for immigration, America would not be gaining population? Look around you. 
I talked to some of these people. Some of y'all from big families. How many of y'all had at least five in your family? Yeah. Yeah, see, a few there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't see that anymore. Where do you see that? You don't see it. We had two. We thought that was going to kill us. <laughs> Nothing personal. All right. But we just, we thought that, that that was enough. And we just had two. They would have like a dozen. You don't see that anymore. And a lot of families just have, uh, you know, single children now. Just they're their only children. And you think about that situation, the world does not have to worry about overpopulation anymore. Did you all know that? There's a reason you don't hear much about that anymore. You don't have to worry about overpopulation in the world because people don't have children. But I thought society was absolutely crazy over the concept of sexuality. After all, you've got all of the pornography, you've got all of the displays in the media, you've got all of the advertisements that revolve around the concept of human sexuality, you've got all of the things about romance, you've got all of the things they sell, and they, whatever, all they say sex sells, right? They just they act like that's the big thing. I'm telling you, it has desensitized people and the result has been a society that is actually under-sexualized as opposed to the other way around. The proof of that is easy. You've got a woman out here, and the guy is looking for somebody as a prospective mate. And what is he looking for in a woman? The fact of the matter is, is that women look good. Everything about a woman should be considered by a man something that is a, an attractive quality because generally it is. Uh, everything about what they, what they smell like, what they sound like, everything about a woman is, is good. Uh, it's actually become a source of conflict between me and the wife. We got a little situation here. All right, uh, y'all know what, a lot of people use their smartphones for them anymore, but you know the GPSs tell you where you're going? Well, we had to change our GPS. It's just as good my son ended up with it or something because it was causing a problem. I'd get in the car and I'd have it set on Susan. Now Susan would tell me where to go and she'd say, you know, turn left. And you know, turn right. That kind of a thing. I could listen to Susan. Susan was fine. I liked to hear Susan. Well, I'd get back in the vehicle. My wife's had the vehicle. Next thing I know, Richard's on there. Turn right. Shut up, Richard. Who's this Richard guy? Turn left. I don't want to hear Richard's voice. I want to hear a nice female voice. Well, see, she was right the opposite. She wanted to hear a man's voice. She wanted to hear Susan. And so every time I get in there, I'd switch it back to Susan. She'd get in there and switch it back to Richard. And we even had an argument about that a time or two. You know, like that, this little Susan-Richard conflict. It was getting bad, so we just had to get rid of that GPS. Now, what's my point in this? My point is, is that you have guys today that act as if they can't be attracted to a woman unless they see her mostly naked. That is the result of under-sexualization in society. The proof is all around us. What do the people need all those pills anymore and everything for nowadays? What do people need all the, uh, the, the ways in which everything is advertised around them and such ever now? They are desensitizing themselves to the opposite sex. The increase in homosexuality and so forth in society results in the breakdown of the home because people are not so urgent about the concept of getting married and starting a family. They're not so urgent about it because they've been desensitized to sexuality. 
as opposed to somebody, of course, wanting to see a woman or be a, in a relationship with a woman who parades herself before others, then I am very much turned off by the idea, as I'm sure many of you fellows are as well. You don't know where that's been. You want to be with someone who behaves in such a way as to say that person would belong to me. That person would be for me. And everybody else is shut out. But instead, many men look for right the opposite. And ladies, I can't speak as to you all. I'm not sure what y'all look for in a guy, so I'm just going to leave you alone on that. I do know, ladies, fellas do not need, a godly man does not need your help in being attracted to you. You have everything that God gave you which is sufficient for him to be attracted to you. There is nothing else needed. You don't need to put um, nasty things written on your clothing in inappropriate places. You don't need uh, anything that the world pushes and puts forth, like from uh, the clothing lines of Miley Cyrus or whatever. You don't need any of that. None of that is needed whatsoever. That is for If a man that you are interested in is attracted to that, then that man is not masculine enough for you. He's not interested enough in women for you. He has been put down by society. He has been desensitized by society and by himself to the point that he no longer looks upon women as anything other than a piece of meat. He's not man enough for you. Maybe he needs to go off and get him a pill or something because he's lacking a little bit. You know what I'm saying? You need a real man. One that knows that here is a woman. This woman could be mine. I'm attracted by that idea. And especially if I see that her heart belongs to God and to me. That's the most beautiful thing of all. Now let's think about this also from the standpoint of Scripture. If you look in a couple of Bible passages, I want us to think about uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2 for a moment. Go down to verse 15. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Should someone marry? Maybe so. Maybe not. As it says in 1 Corinthians 7, one has his gift after this manner, another after that. If you do decide to marry, ladies, it means that your life's work as a married woman is going to be fulfilled in the work of a wife and her motherhood. The motherhood that is spoken of in the Bible is a glorious thing, not just with benefit on this earth, but also benefit for eternity. She shall be saved in childbearing. Somebody says, well, that means she's going to be saved through the physical turmoil and the physical uh, rigors of bearing a child or giving birth to a child. I have a hard time getting it to mean that. I really have a hard time with that. Look at the rest of the verse. She shall be saved in childbearing if she continue in faith and love and holiness. They're in charity with holiness. You look at those qualities. I can think of all kinds of women that can pop out children with hardly any pain at all all the time in their life and have plenty of them and never suffer any physical consequences and they don't have any love and they don't have any holiness or righteousness to them. They're completely worldly. Is he talking about physically she's going to be saved if she has godly qualities? Mm, I got a problem with that. God is talking about she is fulfilling her life's purpose through childbearing. That is, through being a godly mother 
if she has these other qualities, then God will lift her up in this. He'll say, that's what I wanted from you. That's what I recognize. You were meant for this, and you have done a wonderful job. Bless you. It could be that you have that mission in life, ladies. And if so, then teach your, your children, teach your grandchildren, and tell them, say, you like playing with that little doll? Yeah, I, I like playing with that little doll. I think it's neat. Do you like acting as if, you know, you're a mommy and that, that you... Yeah, I think that's a fun thing to do. Well, then you're probably the kind that's meant later on. Why don't you find a good man and y'all make a godly home and you start producing children? You'll be a good mama and God will reward you for that. He'll bless you for that lifestyle. 1 Timothy 2.15, he promises you, you're going to be saved. You'll be all right. You just hang on to your love for God and your love for your children and God will see you through. You have fulfilled your purpose. Now, you talk to some girls and they say, no, I never really cared for anything like that. What about that boy over there? Yeah, what about him? <laughs> well, what do you want to do? Well, can I try out for the ball, get, ball team? <laughs> you know what I mean? Or can I do this or can I do that? She may need to pursue a different kind of lifestyle. She can be godly in that as well, 1 Corinthians 7. But what I'm saying is if she's going to be uh, you know, a wife and a mother, God will reward that as well because he saw that that was her gift given to her. Men, same thing applies to you. What gets you most excited in life? Is your life all about trying to get the car, not because you want to race the car, but because without the car, it's hard to take out the girl, okay? And if you don't take out the girl, it's hard to see if that girl is going to be yours. And do you have these big dreams later on of establishing a home and settling down and uh, you know having your wife and everything and all that? This means that you're the marrying kind. But if you're a kind of boy that comes to dad and says, Dad, 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 well, you want the keys to the car? No, I want your gun. It's hunting season. It starts today. <laughs> you know, i got to get out there, man. Then you might not be that kind of a fella. It just depends. It just depends. So you ask yourself, how has God made me? And what is my purpose in life? If you are going to be the marrying kind, you'd better serve God faithfully and pass on faith in that home. If you're not the marrying kind, you'd better decide, I'm going to serve God faithfully as a single person. One other reference to that, Matthew chapter 19. After the big section on marriage, divorce, and remarriage. How many preachers just stop right there? And it's because we didn't live in such a messed up society before. Nowadays, you have to go on a little bit further because they were wondering, boy, this is hard stuff, what Jesus has taught us. And Jesus said, this message is not for everybody. He said, some were born eunuchs of men, and some are eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. Jesus said, whoever this message is for, let him receive it. I'm referring to verse 12 there in Matthew chapter 19. So you have different reasons why some people are family people and other people form their own family and remain single for God. Jesus said, however it is applying to you, you better be godly and you better live for him whether you're single or married. Now, I would like for us to consider as we uh, uh, talk about uh, this idea of the impact of the home the impact of somebody inside that home obeying the gospel. No matter what your situation, if you decide, I'm going to become a Christian in that home, it has a ripple effect. And the ripple effect usually works like this. When I was younger, I can't speak to your home, but I know when I was younger, my sister started dating this boy. 
Well, he took her to church. We didn't go to church. I thought Sunday was the time you watch Jimmy the Greek tell you who's going to win the football game that day. Now, since then, my family have come back, and my parents are in church. But at that time, we didn't go to church. And we just watched some Sunday football and goofed around on Sunday, kind of rested around. So my sister starts going to church. Well, it's not long before she's converted. The next thing you know, she's of driving age now, and her boyfriend's of driving age, and they're bringing me and my brother to church. And I'm going over to Double Springs with them to church. And I'm looking around, and I'm like, huh. And I start reading my Bible, and I'm looking into this, and it, well, I want to be right. I want to know, get down to the bottom of this. Is this true or not? I study on it and everything. And I just kept on studying, and I figured I, I've got to do something about that. I obeyed the gospel. A little while later, then my brother obeyed the gospel. He's a deacon in the church at Baxter today. It's a ripple effect. You see how it starts? It starts with one person, and they bring somebody else to Christ, and then another person comes to Christ, and then when all the children were getting themselves real religious and pious and everything, then my folks look around it, and they're like, well, we need to start going back into church. And so they start going back to church over at Sycamore, and then later on they go to Baxter today, and they're just rolling right along with it. It is something where one person coming to God in a family will have such a powerful effect on everybody else becoming a Christian. Many of you may be here as a representative of a family today. You're not the whole family. The rest of them are not very godly or they're just not a part of us yet. You want them to be Christian. That means that your life must be lined up with God first. If they can't see Jesus living in you, they will never come unto the Lord because you are the first sermon that they are seeing. Everybody knows that to be true. In 1 Peter, of course, in chapter 3, this is clearly established that if they do not respond to the word, they may without a word be won by the conversation that is the behavior of the wives. And this behavior of the wives is something that you see this all the time. A guy is real stubborn and he's like, no, you, you go on to church if you want to. And, and really they try to make uh, reasons why you, you, you couldn't bring them to church. And oh, you, you, you don't need to be going and all that. But if you stick with it and you show them from a woman's perspective, I am a better wife, I am a better mother by virtue of listening to Jesus and being a Christian, then you can win them over that way a lot quicker than any of us preachers and anything that we say. If you are a man and you before have been gruff and you've been unyielding and just plain unchristian in your ways, you becoming the kind of Christian you need to be. And maybe you've obeyed the gospel in the past, but you haven't been living that in the right way. And so you come back home and you say, Honey, I know I'm sorry. I may be the one that has caused you to be turned off on Jesus. I repented. And I want to repent before you. And I'm going to start living the way Jesus wants me to. She'll see that and she'll come to the Lord Jesus Christ. One person obeying the gospel in the home brings the others in. So the Bible teaches and so history and common sense teach us as well. You don't want to shed bitter tears over your family members. You want to fix the problem. You want to fix it right now. Now I want to deal with just a couple of practical things. I know my time's about up here, but I just want to deal with just a couple of things that I believe is always needful to say, and I'm not going to have time to say them later in the week. A lot of times what will happen is, is that People in older life as grandparents see the need to be religious, but their children have stopped going to church or never were much interested in church, and now they take care of the grandchildren a lot, 
and they say, well, I have my grandchild here with me at church. I see that all the time. I don't know, some of you other preachers, you see that in your experience? That I see it all the time. And they're bringing them like to VBS and things like that. And they even confide in me. They might even say, my son and my daughter, they're not very religious and they don't even like me to bring the children to church. Then uh, I really, sometimes I, I don't want to be too rough on people, but here's the fact of the matter. You need to get rough on them. If they won't bring their children to church, then you do whatever it takes. You say, but I, if, I get, if I just get right down with them and tell them that you, you've got to let at least me come and, and bring these children to church instead of taking them off to the lake or something like that, then uh, they'll, they'll turn away from me. They'll take my grandchildren from me. No, they won't. Now, I know I made a blanket statement there, but in general, they will not because children from my generation are too irresponsible to raise children by ourselves. It's true. We cannot handle it. We'll come crawling back to grandmommy and granddaddy and we'll say, I need your help with the children. I need you to keep them and all that stuff. That's fine. I'm going to take them to church. I'm, I'm more than happy to take care of them at any time. But I want to be able to take these grandchildren to church too. I'm not going to leave you alone on that. Now, you may not agree with me. And you, may, you may not let me, but I'm going to leave you alone about it because they need the Lord. They need to have faith in their life. God forbid they should grow up to be Christians. Is that your problem? You see, many of the parents today, they don't look at it that way. Why? I don't know. The Lord forbid they should actually grow up to be good and not want to get into drugs and drinking and all that kind of stuff. Why? Who knows? They might even grow up to have decent speech. They might even grow up to have stable families themselves. If you could just let them get a part of Sunday school and let's get them in VBS and let's get them over to church camp and let's start getting them to where they have the Lord in their life. You may have given up on God, but I haven't given up on them. I'm begging you, let me get them to church. You see what I'm saying? You've got to do whatever it takes to get them brought up in the nurture and admonition of God. And sometimes you have to be very insistent with that. And if you do that, you'll find that that will even rub off on mom and dad. Because what does that little one do? That little one comes in there sometime on Sunday morning and tugs on those bed sheets and says, I do... The teacher said we was going to do something neat in Sunday school if we was there today. I, can you not take me to Sunday school? Come on, let's get up. Let's go, let's go to church. And pretty soon, before you know it, they're all going to church. It's not something you do just to get them in a place. It's to get them back into the process of honoring their Creator and getting right with God so they can go to heaven. Do whatever it takes, ladies and gentlemen. Love yourself and love your family enough so that you don't shed those bitter tears in days to come. You want to fix the problems in your family? Start now with your own soul. You don't want to add to the grief, but you want to turn yourself and your family toward Jesus Christ? Now is the time to do it. Don't say, well, maybe later on all of us can get together and go to God. You go to God and then bring them with you. God gave you this opportunity. He gave you this life. Make the most of it. Impact all of those around you with love and with goodness. Devote yourself to Jesus Christ and you'll never regret it. Your opportunity to be that influence in the Christian home starts this very moment. Who will come back and be restored to Jesus Christ? Who will dedicate themselves to God and say, I was baptized into Christ. You can be too. I'm going to heaven. I want you to come with me. Say that in your homes and then we can all say it together here at church. Who wants to go to heaven? Who wants to start being that kind of influence on your home? Turn your life around and come to the Lord and come to Him now as we sing this song.